and gentlemen to another episode of the Third Person Podcast. I am Chris Milhouse, and with me, as always, uh, my co-host, Daryl Hammond, and also oh. our producer, Jim Search, is here as well. Yo, what up? Gentlemen, how are we doing today? How are we feeling? We all right? Hanging in? I think me and Jim are grumpy today. <laughs> <laughs> we're, uh, we're team curmudgeon. Uh, team curmudgeon today. You know what the- I mean? Human forms a grumpy cat. All right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, uh, most days I'm able to do a pretty good job of spinning it in my head. That stuff I'm seeing on TV is not permanent, blah, blah, blah. And it has an end and all that. And some days, you know, I fucking hate this thing. Yeah, like, man. 20, know, 2020 hate. has been fucking so hard on certain days. You're not like alone. I go to have some lunch with my friend and we have to sit outside in the freezing rain to eat together. Yeah. Yeah. Once in a while. You know, it's like, I heard it was described like a Corona coaster. I heard that term getting floated around where like some days, you know, you're riding high and you're like, oh, you know what? We're going to be out the other side. And then the bottom drops out and you're like, well, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Well, I don't know too, like for you guys, but like anytime we have like days with like shit weather, it kind of, you know, it makes you lethargic. It makes you kind of feel like. You know, you're not in the greatest of mood. Like today, uh, for those who are listening, we are all, all three of us are based in New York and we are currently in the middle of a huge snowstorm right now. Like it's happening right outside as we speak. So I don't know. I feel like when days like this, I'm just kind of like, you know, what the fuck ever, man. <laughs> like it's not- and yeah, I, w- I was saying it before we got on, man. But look, the snow day is dead now. Yeah, it doesn't it's, exist for, for, like, kids and, like, you don't have snow days anymore. So everybody's yeah. already in the house. It doesn't mean shit during 2020. Listen, man, you know, I got teacher friends out there who are like, yeah, we're now working remote tomorrow because we now know how to do it. So it's like there's no sledding tomorrow for kids. They're not throwing snowballs at each other. They're going to be. Aren't they going to be. They can't do that. I mean, they can after school tomorrow, but, like, they're going to be remote. So it's, like, tomorrow is going to be, like, a remote day for school when if they had snow days, they'd be out there peeing in the snow and throwing uh, at each other and shit, man. Yeah, isn't it wild that, like, snow days don't really exist anymore? Like, for kids, like, they can't, you know, you don't get the whole day off of school. Now it's like, well, you just have to do it from home. Yeah, like, man. It's so weird. Pour some hot chocolate out for the snow day, man. Yeah, yeah. I thought about that. You know, it's it's it was it's also weird to like you don't ever know what to expect with these type of like snowstorms either because like anytime that a little bit of a storm comes in, all of the weather people freak the fuck out. You're like, it's the end of the world, the apocalypse. It's here. It's happening. And then you get like what, like an inch of snow, and you're like, oh, sorry, we overreacted. You're like, and then. Yeah, and then you have, like, people at the grocery store buying, like, 15 loaves of bread and, like... Yeah, all the toilet paper again. <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to write a sketch about a grocery store uh, called... The name of the grocery store is called You're All Right, and it's only open the day before a snowstorm. And it's like, look, you're going to be all right. We've got milk for sale. We've got bread. And <laughs> if you bring, in your, uh, you bring in your coupons, we'll even throw in a chicken. But you're going to be all right. I promise you. There you go, man. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why they always freak out. I remember it was like a year, it was a couple years ago maybe, where they had they called it Snowbageddon, and they were freaking out, and then it never came. Like, it just was like nothing. Yeah, man. Yeah, I remember that, and I, I wonder if that, 
I wonder if that's going to happen tonight. No, I mean, it's snowing out there pretty good right now. Yeah. yeah it's we, actually sticking. Yeah. But I remember la- last time with that snow began, like, we got nothing. Like, it didn't, it didn't snow at all. And they closed down streets. They were panicking. They were like, if, if you have kids, make sure they're home. Don't let your kids out. So they're like, mm. it was the most, like, you know, Armageddon type shit you've ever seen. And then, like, literally we got not even, we didn't, we didn't even get rain. It was kiss, just nothing. Kiss your daughter on the forehead because yeah. this is it. <laughs> hide your wife, hide your kids, hide your husband. The snow's getting everybody, man. It'll yeah. snow, snow on top of snow, man. Yeah. And did you, uh, let me ask you guys, uh, did you guys see, um, did you guys see the, the thing in the news yesterday with Tom Cruise freaking out? What? Yeah. I didn't know. I, well, so, I read the article. Talk, tell yeah, us what happened. Sure, yeah. I mean, for anybody who's listening doesn't know. Um, so what happened was is that somebody recorded Tom Cruise going apeshit on the set of his new movie, Mission Impossible 7. And uh, he was just literally yelling at everybody because they weren't following uh, protocols for COVID. I mean, he like, I like freak out. I was like, people rely on these fucking jobs. You don't fuck around. You wear the fucking mask. And he was like, I mean, he was going nuts and he was screaming at everybody. He's like, I, I sent people to college. I said, I give jobs so people can pay their fucking bills. And you're out here just doing this shit. Like, I mean, he went nuts and they, they recorded it all, but it was only audio. They didn't get the actual video of it, but man, it was the internet had a field day with it, and everyone's like, "Can Tom Cruise be like our our president? Can he be our mayor? Can he be our governor? Like, can he be our dad? Like, that would mean, that would be great." Meanwhile, Doctor Fauci's hearing and just giving a slow clap, like, <laughs> yeah. Fauci's like, "I've been saying this, but now I'm not. I'm not Tom Cruise, so you listen to fucking him." Yeah, it it takes uh, that, it takes. Was Tom Cruise that was yelling like that? Yeah, it was Tom Cruise. They recorded him like just going apeshit on his crew. It was like on his sound crew and stuff. And what was he mad about? He was mad that they weren't following protocol for like COVID. Like some of them weren't wearing masks and like, I don't know, there was something going on. Um, But yeah, he was just pissed because he's like, we will not shut down this fucking production. (laughs) (laughs) And I I actually was going to see, you know, um, our guest today is a good segue to uh, uh, our guest today is the great Jonathan Kite. And everybody who's listening knows uh, Jonathan from the hit uh, CBS show, Two Broke Girls. Uh, he played Oleg the Chef on that show. Um, just a fantastic actor. was on all six seasons there. But he's got amazing impressions. And this is why I'm excited to have him on, especially with Daryl. But uh, he has such great impressions. I was thinking that maybe he could do an impression of Tom Cruise freaking out on the crew. But uh, we'll see. I don't know. Um, but yeah, he's great. And he's also starring alongside uh, Jamie Foxx in a new Netflix show. Jamie Foxx, uh, David Allen Greer. It's a show uh, called Dad, Stop Embarrassing Me. Um, it's a show that's based on <laughs> it's based on Jamie Foxx's relationship with his daughter. So uh, I guess it's supposed to be a pretty big one. And, uh, you know, good, looking forward to seeing that. But uh, let's, uh, let's see if we can get him on here. Let's see if we can uh, get him to connect. Hey, Jonathan. What's up, buddy? How are you, man? Good. How are you? I'm couldn't be better. Right. Well, welcome to the third person podcast. This is Jonathan Kite. Uh, John, I don't know if yeah, you know uh, Daryl Hammond here, my esteemed co host. I am well aware. We spent a lovely uh, uh, time talking uh, most recently. It's been a minute, but at, uh, the, in the main room at the comedy store. Yes. Indeed. 
How are you? I I don't know, man. I'm plumbing along. Some days aren't so great, and some days are okay. You know. Yeah, yeah we're going through. Uh, we're both in New York, and we're, uh, we're oh, we yeah. yeah. We got a snowstorm going on here, man. It's like a foot of snow coming down at the moment as we speak. So, you know, it's, uh, I was telling to Daryl, I was like, you know, everybody, especially in 2020, we're all having off days, but like, you know, when the weather sucks, it kind of, uh, kind of makes you a little lethargic and makes you feel a little off. Yeah. I, um, my brother's family is up in Seattle with the rain and whatnot. Oh, nice. You know, that they can't, they have little kids and they can't go outside when it gets super rainy. So it's just similar. I mean, it's the same thing, just different day, different. Yeah. yeah. I can't right. imagine what it's like to be a kid and you can't go outside. That really would be hard. I know. I think about the war that I was not a part of world war two. I, um, <laughs> I, I, I hypothetically have uh, flashbacks to events I were not a part of, but I think about how, you know, restricting we a lot of people, you know, today think that it's restricting what we had, but what things were like living in London during the bombings and whatnot. That's fascinating yeah. stuff, though. Yeah, and then here we are in 2020 going, I can't go outside. It's it's too cold, or the virus might get me. But you're just outside hanging out with kids, you know, like <laughs> playing with other yeah, kids. Yeah, you know? and also the, you know, uh, the idea that there's danger outside that door. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. something really so, – I, I could die today was crazy. I mean, and there was nowhere for people to go. It was like for, for people here, it's like, stay inside. You're going to be safe. But in, in areas, especially in Europe during the war, it's like, stay inside. But if the building gets bombed, you're, and then they didn't have the yeah. money or resources or travel capacity to leave the areas that were being destroyed. Yeah. yeah and, and, and to to live in the dark at night, don't turn your lights on. Yes, you're right. That's so creepy and so difficult. <laughs> what a way to what what a way to start the podcast. Let's uh, like we started on a high note here, huh? <laughs> Listen, man, we're human beings here. I know, I know, I know. But uh, Jonathan, what have you been doing during uh, during COVID? I know I, I said before I brought you on, I told the listeners about uh, how you got a brand new show coming out with Jamie Fox and David Allen Greer. That's pretty cool. But uh, <laughs> outside of uh, shooting that, what have you been up to? Um, I. Well, it was weird because we we got the show. I auditioned for the pilot like the week before we knew things were going to shut down in March. And then it was crazy. We did the pilot and um, which wound up being the second episode. And then we they were like the quarantine happened in L.A. or the lockdown or whatnot. And so it was one of these things where I felt like you know, I had probably developed, I was doing a lot of stand-up. I actually just had done in, in January and February, a USO tour in Italy. Oh shit. That's and, awesome. Um, it was so great. It was just that's like you know, perfect timing fun. too. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. Before all this. It was amazing. And it literally my buddy and I, Taylor Williamson. Uh, oh, I know Taylor. Yeah. Lovely human. So we went to Milan right before it was essentially like on fire. And when we were sort of, and, you know, when you're on all those army bases or those military bases, there, there's so much news feed that's going on in the hotel, in the lobby, and they just kept saying coronavirus. So I was sort of hearing it all the time, and Milan was experiencing just the, the really the beginnings of the devastation. We had been there like seven days prior. So oh, shit. it was kind of crazy. And so... We were in Italy, but I had been on the. I had been doing a ton of stand up, like trying to write my new hour, 
And I had probably not developed like the best habits, you know, cause we're all, when, you know, we all travel and it's like, I was drinking a lot. I was eating like crap, staying up at late. And I tend to write better at night anyway. So like, even after a show, I'm not like going to bed. I'm probably, you know, l- listening back to my stuff and like sort of seeing what works. And so I had developed all these bad habits and then I got back on television and, um, I was like, you know what? I need to get back into like a workout routine. Cause I feel like for me, my routine when I was on two broke girls was like a very, like a nine to five kind of job. And when I'm going on the road doing stand up and stuff, it's just a different version of me. And so I needed to get back to that guy. So I started like working out a bunch, eating better, getting back to more consistent writing, getting up early going for walks, like sort of trying to put that. And then luckily enough for us, we came back in August and then we filmed the rest. We filmed the whole season. So we just wrapped like a week or so ago. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. That's great. Can't wait to see it. So when you, when you're working five days a week, you pretty much don't party at night, right? No, I don't at all. I mean, it's one of these things where, um, I don't do it for stand up either. And I don't know how you are. I'd love to hear this. Because for my voice, like I already have the voice of like a, a turtle on NyQuil. And so for me to be able to do some of these higher pitched impressions that I do, like if I drink, like immediately it throws me in the basement. Mm. And so when I'm on set and they're asking, you know, you know, you know, they never know, you never know what's going to be asked of you. So when I'm in that show mode, I'm like, I want to be able to do anything and not be like, oh, I can't do it because I just was, you know, drank the bar out of tequila last night. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when when I was at SNL, I was too... Uh, <clears throat> I might be stupid, but I'm not crazy. I might be crazy, but I'm not stupid. But getting drunk the night before a show, no chance. Yeah. I mean, I felt... Or, or drinking the day of a show, I mean... I'm not against, you know, rough and tumble partiers anywhere, but that show or any, like I've done some TV, not like you and not a lot. That shit's hard, man. Yeah. It's hard. I it's agree. Like, am I flying? I'm flying the space shuttle tomorrow, but it could be okay if I'm hanging, I'm hungover. No. Well, that's the thing, man. I mean, I, I, you know, and I know people that do it. We all, we, you know, all three of us have friends that are that, and I, I respect you got to do things the way that it feels right for you. And, you know, for me, I used to smoke a ton of weed, like, uh, like every day. And then I realized that it was changing my voice in a way oh, that yeah. I didn't like it. You know, so I stopped cold Turkey but I'm not, you know, I, I get, I do my own thing. Like I, I still drink a ton, but I, but I think I'd like to say that I do it in moderation and not, not necessarily with intention, but with intention. Like if I have something to do that, I know I'm going to absolutely need this in any capacity because, you know, it's our livelihood. It's our, it's, you know, this is our thing. And so um, I, I, I really want to be able to do that. I don't, and I want to be able to come in and not have to, be disappointed in myself. And I know that other oh, people yeah. doesn't work that way. Yeah. So it's like for other people, I think if somebody does it, like I have a buddy who gets hammered before he goes on stage and he's hysterically crushes. And I go, dude, that works for you. It just yeah. doesn't work for me. 
You can just name Andrew Santino. It's fine. Anyway. Um, <laughs> no, I, I feel the same way. I, I never drink until I'm done. Like that's like, yeah. and even then, if I know I have something important the next day, I won't, but I'm my stupid one rule that I've always had is just to never drink before I go on stage. Cause you know, even, even if it's like one drink, it's still will fuck up my timing a little bit. And it does mess with your throat a little bit. Like with like, you know, if you're projecting, like I used to do a bit where I sang on stage and to hit the whatever note that I was trying to hit at, at the end, it's if you're drinking whiskey, it's going to dry you out. Like it's just going to, it's, you're not going to get the same range. And uh, I don't know. I just never, I just, I always thought I was, I felt off if I drank before I went on stage. So, you know, that's why I just never do. Uh, I'll have one afterwards, especially if I know I'm not doing anything the next day or if I've got plenty of time to recover until, you know, 9 p.m. the next day, you know? So, I've, you know, I, I, there was a time when I would, um, when I was first starting out that I would have drinks um, before I went on stage, but gradually I began to enjoy it too much. And Jonathan, I don't know if you've ever had heard someone yell from the audience. You already told that one. (laughs) No, no, you told that one already. That that left me so hot with humiliation that I didn't do it anymore. Yeah. Well, well, one of the first jokes I ever wrote, and um, it bombed like really hard. But I talked about the side effects, like you know, of um, of this new drug that I was taking, which was totally you know not true, but that I had memory loss. And I go, I hate it. And then I would, and then later in the show, I would tell the joke again, and I would with memory loss. And people thought that I like had forgotten that I had told the joke. Ah, right. <laughs> never got the. And then I was like, oh my god these people think that I'm fucking bombing right now or that I'm like, I'm like that. I don't know what I just did. And so for me, like I, I had always been aware of that. Yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, Daryl, do you, do you remember when we interviewed Brad Garrett? Uh, we had Brad Garrett on the podcast from everybody, everybody loves Raymond. And uh, he talked about that. And he said, you know, when back when his drinking days, he used to drink on stage and sometimes he'd forget and he would tell the same joke. And then someone would yell, like, you already told that one. He'd be like, well, were you listening? I'm testing you. <laughs> like, he was just so quick on his feet. He was like, I just wanted to make sure you were listening. And, yeah, uh, I would, I'd probably say uh, play it, it off that great way. joke. I'm telling it again because it's a great joke. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes some of you didn't hear it correctly because didn't, I didn't think it that got a big enough laugh. Bathroom. Yeah, that guy was in the bathroom. Yeah. He didn't hear it. I wanted a bigger laugh the second time around. That's what I deserve. <laughs> I mean, for a while there, I, I went on stage once um, at one of the clubs in New York, one of those 15, 12, 15-minute sets, and I was high on weed, and it went pretty well. So I thought, maybe I'll try that sometime. And I tried it in, in a, in a one-hour show in a theater in, um, in, um, on Long Island in the Hamptons. Dude, I, I mean, I sucked. I just couldn't get a handle on that shit, man. <laughs> Happens shit, to the best of us, man. Happens shit, to the best. Shit of us. didn't mean the same to me. I was, I don't know. I sucked. Well, you so. know, I don't know. I mean, how are you? Like in terms of your act, are you learning? Um, like, is there people that you're working on impressions wise that you haven't necessarily done before? I mean, obviously, you have so many millions of impressions that people love, but I mean, like. Is there like new stuff like or like a Biden? You know, uh, someone gave me some things to study this year, and and I studied them. You know, like Mitch McConnell and stuff. But after a while, it became so. I don't know what this says about me. Probably nothing good, but it became so unpleasant 
to not have anywhere to tell these jokes or perform these characters. Mm-hmm. And I realized I can't be it. I can't do it without an audience. I'm just not led to do it. Why would I learn fucking like I just got uh, sent uh, a script, a script from a, from a hot TV show. They want me to learn how to do an Amer- a former president. Mm. And I'm like, um, if I'm not going to be on the air, I don't want to learn that voice. It, I'm sorry. Maybe I'm not an artist. No, I can I tell you, I actually, it's funny because I can't do, I have to try it out on stage. Yeah. Like for me to do it. Like I don't, it's not like, I mean, it's a party trick, but it's like, I and that's why I don't drink because I need to be able to pull it out of thin air, yes. and see if it resonates in a dialogue with a group of people with intention. For me, that's that. But, I mean, but, but, if, but if you from. if you no longer believed that anyone would ever see you give this performance, would you do it? Would you learn the new stuff? No, no there were no crowds. Well, that's what happened to me this year. Yeah. I feel like that's similar with like uh, new jokes in general, like a new joke premise. I mean, look, I, impressions are a lot different, but like, you know, for me, I can write a new joke all day, but I don't, sometimes I just don't know if it's going to work. And I have to, I'd rather just try it on stage and literally go with it in the moment and see how I wing it in the moment rather than yeah. write it over and over and over and see if I can keep doing it over and over without an audience. I think it's just sometimes as, as comedians, we just work better with a live audience. We just, it's just how we feed off things. It's how we gauge I can't you do know? shit without it. Yeah. I can't do shit without it. I'm, I'm back in the day when I was on TV more and, and getting more, you know, and getting talk show requests. And I did a, the Bob Costas show. And when he, I think he had something that was on HBO. And I told him beforehand, I, I used to see him in the halls. I said, listen, you're going to have to call people in from around the building you live in and invite them to come in the room and either stand there or sit there. Because I'm not going to know what to do if if I don't have an audience to gauge by. You know what I mean? I just won't know what to do. Well, I sometimes I'll come up with an impression on accident. And so that way my brain will sort of like work. I mean, I like imitating things for myself, but I don't like that's how I started just like. But I made fun of teachers in high school and did impressions of them for the class. Can you think of an example of getting an impression by accident, you said? Yeah. So I, um, yeah. So I was doing, I do Vince Vaughn and um, I was doing. You have a a great Vince Vaughn. I love your Vince Vaughn. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. And I, I, but I was sort of trying to do like a lot of, levels like that's what i love about your stuff is that you do a lot of different like there's such a human element to when you impersonate somebody which i that's the same school you know um like i love that style of impression the most at least being a part of it but i love watching it too and yeah um, yeah, when i was doing trump and and a lot of the people if i could do them more than one time you know i i would i would i would do one of them yelling Exactly. One of them speaking softly. Um, Because everyone has, I feel, a little different voice depending on how many people are in the room and what they're doing at the time. So if I could do it and repeat it and do it a number of times, I was able to flesh it out like that. But thank you. Coming from you, that's a really cool compliment. Thank you. Well, you you know what it is? It's like you fit the moment. And that's the thing about 
which is, I think, one of the reasons you were so great on SNL is because obviously you didn't know where Trump was going to be written that week. But it wasn't just like it wasn't this Trump like every time because it's like, well, he's not there. He's like skydiving. So he's not going to be doing this in the air. And to have somebody like you who understood that, who's like, no, he's going to be screaming because it's so loud. And like that is what makes it people are just like, yep, I believe that. Let's watch the sketch. A different sound. Yeah. Yeah. Because that and that's what makes it more human and more fun because there's things to make fun of him in every you know, like little, every pocket of him, there's something different to make fun of. I saw him once talking to a group of people and it hit me. He sounds differently in front of 20 people than he does in front of two. A hundred percent. Yeah. I noticed that when I watched The Apprentice, because like when I started doing it, working on him, it was like well before the, the presidential run. And I, when I heard him run after I'd been doing Apprentice him, I was like, oh, my God, it's such a different guy as a snake oil salesman when he mm-hmm. does when that he's in the room on a show that he produces and controls. Mm-hmm. So even his <laughs> brain is working differently because he's trying to sell you. He's like um, Harold Hill, the music man. He's trying to sell you musical instruments that don't exist. And so he's got to have <laughs> a different sort of like sort of thing about him, whereas in here he controls all everything. So it's right here. Mm-hmm. You know, can, can you do an can you do an impression of the differences? Do you mind if I ask? Do you know? Can can I or yeah you yeah? Oh, <laughs> Trump, I mean, you know what he does. The Apprentice. He's right here. There's a lot of confidence. It's so good. I've done a lot, and they'll check in with the guy. I do a lot, don't I? And then when he's out there on stage, and he's sort of long-winded, like he's gonna tell a story that sort of goes nowhere, nowhere. He's like trailing off. He's like it's its own mythology. It's so weird. Well, that's really actually that's very fine work. Um, it was great, man. That's perfect. The, um, oh, thank you. I like the gravel you put in your voice because where, you know, my my first instinct is, how did he know? How did Trump know how to talk in front of people? Like, how did he know how to do that? How yeah. did he know how to change those vocal changes that you just did so well? You know, the guy's got some uncanny instinct, and I'm not sure what it is. Can I tell you, I really believe it. I think that he has, I mean, he's lucky, but not lucky, but his father, I think he he studies people. And I think that, you know, that's the one thing I'll say. Like, everyone wants to dismiss him as this whatever, but I go, this guy knows how to talk to people in a way that we're just not used to seeing someone that high up. Doing it. I, I thought he could see right through me. Other people have had the same experience. It's kind of chilling to realize you're you're being read the same way. You know, the velociraptors read a chain link thing yeah. looking for the weakest link. I mean, yeah. you're being you're being canvassed, and he and he can really know. It gives him the ability to judge weakness in others, mm. and to say that one thing that will change your year. For better or for worse, that, you know. <laughs> I mean, just like calling Jeb Bush low energy. How did he? How did he know that would affect his play? It was like he, when Jeb Bush stepped in the ring, Trump threw marbles on the floor. Well, he's you know he was a living Twitter troll, my opinion, before Twitter. Oh yeah, because he used to remember in The Apprentice, he would like cut people down. 
in a way to like put them in a box, like, like with Jeb, because that's what he did. He sort of like microed them into like, this is who you are to him. And it was easy because he made people two dimensional so that he could sort of like, then, then he could like create uh, um, critiques and, and opinions of, of the thing that he assigned them. And so yeah. it's a very, it's a way of controlling the way that other people look at that person. So, and then when Twitter was there, I was like, but he loves you. He, well, not, he, he thinks he, I think I've heard him say, like, he thinks your Trump is the best. He is. Yeah. He tweeted that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, yeah. I'll never forget one day I was walking down, um, walking across Columbus circle and I was walking by Trump towers and I saw him out front and I, I, I began to approach him and he yelled my name out. Wow. And I thought, this guy has some kind of genius for showmanship. I don't know. I, I said to someone after the first time I left his office, I said, I'm pretty sure he's a genius. I'm not sure at what. You know what I mean? I don't know what it is he actually does, you know? But part of it is an ability to read others. Yeah, and, and to get, I mean, I do. I still think it was Harold Hill. He's selling you everything you want and nothing you need. Is that that's a good? Like, yeah, that's a good analogy for sure. Because I was working on this character. I had an audition this past week. Wow, that's for, deep. That's good. Oh, Sorry. thanks. I mean, I just think, like, for me, um, whenever I come up with, like, an impression, I try to think of, like, how... Like like Vince Vaughn because they're oh, yeah, go, go, going back to Vince Vaughn. Yeah, I forgot we, well, I was we got off say, topic there for a second with Trump. No, no, but he's always selling you, and whether it's stakes or ties or a wall, a wall is bigger. So he can't sell you a wall right here. He can't be like, I think we should buy a wall. It doesn't. It's too big of an idea. So he's got to tell a crowd about it. And so with Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn, who was like one of the first impressions I ever did, he makes you feel like um, that it's only you and him in the room. You could be at a soccer stadium in, you know, in Liverpool, but it's just if he's telling you something and it's privileged information and the connection that he's making. And I tried to do like a really, a sort of a, like a flip out kind of high thing and my voice did a flip. And I was like, wait a minute, I think that sounds like Tom Hanks. Mm. So that's where it went. And then I kind of... The Burbs is one of my favorite movies of all times with Tom Hanks when he's like going to the end and it's just him screaming and it makes me laugh every time. <laughs> and I thought that for a second, I just heard the kind of the, ah, that thing that he does. At, and then, but I, I did it accidentally because I went too high. And so it was like one of those. No, you just nailed it. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, I meant for too high for Vince Vaughn. Oh. Where I was like, hey man, hi. And then I went, oh, and I went, wait a minute, that's, that's a little too high. And that's Tom Hanks, where he's that's like, an, ah. is that your is that an accidental impression? That was that's what I was going to say. That's the accidental but, but, impression. Um, you're you're completely doppelgangering his high register when you do that. It sounds just like him. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I really love him. That's the thing I wondered for someone like you who was obviously tasked with these impressions that you may or may not like the person. I try unless it's like Rush Limbaugh or Donald Trump, I try to do people that I love because I'm going to have to listen to them or, you know, but I wondered like, was that, do you think it was easier for you to learn somebody if you liked the person? 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can't think of anyone that I that I just d- 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 hated or didn't like that I, I was able to do. Um, primarily, most people have some good in them, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> but um, after I, you know, I had met Cheney a couple of times, um, I... I enjoyed talking to him. Sure. And I, enjoyed, I, I, I enjoyed talking to Trump. He always said the funniest stuff. And um, so, so it wasn't that hard for me. You know, there was a time last year when I became obsessed with the idea of learning how to do Hitler. Because I learned, you know, I, I, learned, <laughs> I learned how he was, no, I learned how he was coached and that someone taught him his hand gestures and I learned the story of how he was this mild-mannered labor leader who would occasionally give public talks. And then he spoke at the Krupp factory one night in Germany. And Hitler was there with all these new hand gestures. And um, I thought he, he, he created himself. And I can't do Hitler. It, it, it makes me upset. My father was a soldier in World War II, and he, he came home really fucked up. Mm. So I can't, I can't do Hitler. You know, there was a time when I was doing, when I did John McCain twice and it, it went pretty well. And I thought I'd do, I'd, I did a pretty good job. And then when my father died and I couldn't do it anymore, I couldn't play, a, make fun of a soldier. You know, I'm, I'm weird that way. Um, there's times I just emotionally blocked from doing people. So I think that's the answer to your question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that, but that to me, that makes total sense. Cause I think that you like, which I appreciate about you is that you can feel, I feel when I hear you and watch you, that you are connected to the person you're doing, that it's not like, just like a, a hollow sort of sound and body. How did you find um, Vince Vaughn? Did you speak um, to him first per, in person? I met him later and, uh, it was one of the only people I've ever done the impression for. And um, he was so kind, but I, I met what happened was I was auditioning for a show and um, they asked me how many impressions could I do? And I used to say that I could do like the Branson, Missouri five. So like, it wasn't, you know, you know what I mean? It was like, I could do like uh, I could do Tim Gunn. Oh, Brad Garrett. Wallace Shawn was the first impression I ever learned as a kid. And, um, but they were like, not on, I mean, Brad was on TV, but they weren't anybody that people could use. So I went in, I did the impressions and then they were like, who could you do that wasn't like that, that I hadn't done yet. And I said, I could do Obama, Vince Vaughn and Nicolas Cage. And I was like, oh, maybe cause, and you know, when you audition for stuff, like they'll give you time. And so they were like, great. Well, you're testing on Monday. And I was like, and this was on Friday night. And I sort of had a, a panic attack and I went home and I watched Fred Claus uh, probably about that opening speech where he talks to the little girl when he's the repo man. I bet I've seen it seen a hundred times and I watched it over and over and over. And I knew because he's from Lake Forest and I'm from Skokie, Illinois. I knew that I could sort of do the thing that he was doing. And I knew that it sat in my register. And so I just did it like, like, like paint by number and then once I knew I could do it, I just let it go. And then I did my own thing with it. But I learned it out of necessity because I was with a new manager at the time. 
and I didn't want them to think that I had disappointed or not made good on the thing that I said I could do. So I literally stayed up. And you said that Vince Vaughn makes you feel like, like Clinton makes you feel like you're one of the most important things that ever happened to him. Is it that sort of thing? It absolutely is. In a, in a more, you know, Clinton, your Clinton is so regal, you know, that like, and I think that you really get that about him, which I don't think a lot of people can get. Cause like, he's sort of like royalty or at least he was for such a long period. And he's not, whereas Vince Vaughn is more the drinking buddy that knows the guy at the good strip club that no one can get into. You know? that's, a, that's a great analogy. But man. those are, but you really do like your Clinton, there's like a stillness and like a, a, a presence to him that I've never had the honor of meeting the man, but you can even see it on TV. So when you're, you personally get that, it, we recognize it because we go, yes. That guy is royalty, and he has his he has his own atmosphere, his own gravity. I think I, I think it helped me a lot to be able to do him on stage a lot at the comedy cellar, like every night, three hundred nights a year. Yeah, really to get the moves with him, you know. And were you doing him before you got on SNL? I had one line as my act, and, and my act is Clinton, and I'm told that's how I got the part. Oh, shit. That one line. Um, you couldn't help but be fascinated by this fucking guy. When I first moved to New York, like all I did was impressions, and nobody would give me a set. So I had to learn how to be like a monologist, too. And then I finally got into the comedy cellar, but I had to like write straight stand-up to get in there. And so by the time I got to SNL, I I was only doing one voice on stage, and that's just because I couldn't fucking resist. I mean, the guy's got charisma. I mean, yeah. I think Trump has charisma, but I, I wonder if Trump's charisma of, affects um, all people. Like, Clinton seems to affect people on both sides of the aisle. Almost everyone is charmed by this guy. But Trump has got a couple of detractors, doesn't he? Yeah, he's got quite a few. A I mean, um, seven some seven point how many million? Yeah, eighty million. <laughs> I said his name on stage once at the the Melrose Improv, and a lot of people started screaming "fuck Trump." Ah, that's about right for Hollywood. But you know, I when I, I played Buffalo, uh, the helium. Love the Buffalo Helium and yeah, uh, great club, yeah, great club. And like I was so like I was doing Trump, like I said before he was even running, and so um, I had this old joke about him that was like a stupid joke, but it was like I felt like if I could do him because it's like when you say something and then you like I'd done like a like Mark Wahlberg and like Ray Romano and like I was doing people and then I would do straight jokes too but if I would mention someone's name I would feel weird if I didn't do an impression of them because I had just done impressions so it's like hey you guys love Tom Hanks right and then they go yeah and I go anyway so enough about Tom <laughs> Hanks like Lawrence Tom Hanks and so I had I had real jokes cuz I think um Daryl it was very similar with me I I started doing stand up this summer in between season one and season two of two broke girls. I started uh, much, much, much later in life. And I realized I could do impressions, but I felt like I was, I would get booked 
on the shows that I wanted to do. Cause I didn't want to be like um, a novelty where they sort of just put me up to do this. They, I had to sort of not um, convince people, but a little bit that I could write straight stand up, And then I yeah. could sort of do the hybrid that I wanted to do. Cause I love impressions obviously so much. And so when I did that though, I realized when I was, you know, moving them together, I had to learn this Trump. And so, um, cause I would say his name, but not do him. And then someone's like, you gotta do Trump. I'm like, all right, I'll do it. So then when I was traveling to Buffalo and the stuff that I would say about him was not like, you know, Trump is Hitler. Like, I wouldn't say that I would do jokes that were very funny about any politician. Like I used to say, can we all just imagine or admit that every politician lies? Like I'm sure FDR one time said, let's go for a walk. Right. Like everyone lies, but I go, the problem with Trump is that you can Google his lies and this woman stood up in Buffalo and was, and there had just been a Trump rally there like a month before. And this woman had like a town hall debate with me. Oh God. How good Trump is. And I wasn't even saying anything about his politics. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. I remember that. It was like a 10 minute conversation with this woman screaming from the back of the club. Yeah, I got that a guy I was on stage in Jacksonville, and I'm like up there. So anyway, Trump, and from the back, I heard this is a pretty good impression of what I heard. I heard a guy went, uh, "I wouldn't if I were you. I wouldn't if I were you." I'm like, and I so I won't, will I? <laughs> Ass beatings do detract from comedy. I'm scared. Well, you know, that's the thing is with, the, with I feel like with him, like people, there was a personal, like people would really take it personal that you were not only, you weren't defending him, you were offending them and the country. I, I, I'd like to get back to a, a little more here, sort of tease out a little more a phrase you use. He sells you what you want, not what you need. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think when I, I think about a salesman, you know, you go in looking for something and they, the truth is they get better commission but the other thing. And it's like, you know, especially today with the educated consumer, to the best of our ability, like obviously everybody, like you can lie on the internet, you can lie sort of anywhere. But I feel like, you 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 need these certain things, but you want that thing. And so that's what he's talking about because it's brighter. It's not, it's like we what we what we want is um or what we need is like sort of policies like fixed internally. And he goes, No, 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 you don't need that. What you want is a wall to keep it out. And so he's very specific because those come out of it's not like he's saying what what you want are everyone needs a gun. He's saying something that's a big idea. He's a very big idea branding guy, obviously, right? So, but he picks something that's visual and he repeats it over and over because it's subliminal. And he'll repeat himself. And when he goes off, he loves going off teleprompter because it allows him to sort of be like the folksy guy. Who's like, he goes, they want these people, these how these fat cats want me to do this, but I'll I'm here for you. 
And that is like a snake oil salesman. Yeah, and he has that meme online. It's not me they want. It's it's not me they're after. It's you. I'm just in their way. And it seems like he's yeah. speaking to a group of people who feel disenfranchised or yeah. cheated or um, are afraid. I mean. Oh, yeah. He, he plays on people's fears all the time. I mean, if you look at Nazi Germany, it's like Hitler and, and Trump were kind of talking to the same crowd. They, a crowd of people who felt fucked over. Yes, there will. I agree, I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, I, you know, um, I, I won't take credit for this, but uh, I was like the new, sh- uh, you know, Jamie Foxx has a really great saying about Trump where he's like, he goes, he didn't vote for himself. Oh, that's good. And I was like, that is, that is incredible. That's one of the, yeah. He I was like, vote himself in the, uh, he did not get there by himself. That's exactly right. He didn't vote for himself. <laughs> I mean, so you it's think really fucking good. And we're always a country. So it's like there are people here like us, you, me, the three. We're all the, this country that there are people that are not. Now, obviously, at points in our lives, we have felt like we have been represented. So we felt like we were winning. And then but obviously enough people did not feel that way. And so they, you know, and then we sort of felt or whoever, you know, voted one way or the other, you know, and it's, it's sort of a back and forth, but, you know, we all need to, we're not always going to agree, but I think that, you know, that it's coming from a point where we have to see, obviously he's the result. Trump is the result of those people, but their, their needs and their, their feelings, like you said, of being disenfranchised, they're real because I've, you know, we all sort of feel that in some capacity in our lives. It's just that enough. It, it reminds me of um, um, the Godzilla story. Godzilla is just a fucking, you know, a small creature underneath the sea, and then someone sets off a hydrogen bomb, and now he's six hundred feet tall. And Godzilla's like, "Hey, I didn't. You think I asked for this? <laughs> I was good. Me and the kitties, we were good. Yeah. And now I'm six hundred feet tall. People shooting at me." <laughs> yeah, the creature of the the Black Lagoon. The creature from the Black Lagoon did not make himself. I love that not. movie. That's one of my favorite old movies. It's a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he he didn't come from nowhere, right? Yeah, yeah. But they, they, with all this, there's going to be spill, right? There's like there's overages, and so if we are responsible for the system that makes. You know, it, even no matter what side you're on, again, we're all a part of that system. Yeah. True that, my man. <laughs> now, Jonathan, you said you uh, you mentioned Jamie Foxx uh, working with him. Uh, yeah. How cool is that? I mean, how, how fucking dope is it to work with Jamie Foxx? I mean, you know, it's uh, pretty unbelievable. Um, it, is, it is so much fun because... A, obviously, so David Allen Greer plays his father on the show. Oh, right. He's on the show, too. Yeah. Yeah. And what a um, great cast. The, the people they got in, in our showrunner uh, executive producer is Bentley Evans, who did like Martin and Jamie Foxx show and oh, a awesome. of other stuff. So it, it just was a lot of fun um, to get there and just try to make each other laugh. And I think... <laughs> um, do you guys do impressions for each other? Because Jamie's a big impressionist. Incredible. Um, we do impressions, uh, and we will imitate, you know, because it winds up being like a lot of us sitting around in between shots or in rehearsals and stuff. 
And when somebody comes up, like if you bring up somebody's name in a story, if somebody does that impression, it just sort of like comes out. Hmm. Somebody bring it. And it's fun because it just, it feels like a hang that people are just filming. And I think that that was, you know, what's funny about him. Just the couple of times I was around him was, um, he seems like a decent guy, like a decent, a decent man. Yes. You know, I, I, I remember one night I was in a particularly bad state and I guess he was on set visiting someone and I th- almost felt like he could sense that I was having a bad night and he engaged me in a, in a conversation and completely broke my bad mood. I almost felt like he's like, you know, that guy's feeling shitty. Let me, go, let me go see if I can make that guy feel better. That's the feeling I got. Yeah. I mean, he, I will say he has one of the most incredible, um, hearts of anyone I've ever met and to like be around him. Cause I've known him for a, a, a quite a, a many years and I've seen him in so many different environments and that he just cares. And it's like, it's, I mean, in a way that like the specificity, it's not like, Hey, everybody, how's everybody doing? Like the care that he, that he has for everything that he does in his life, whether it's his family, it's the things that he loves and he really is a participant in all of the relationships that exist in his circle mm-hmm. in a way that I'm like, this guy's energy is unbelievable. It's infectious. Like you, I mean, I'm, I've never been in a bad mood around that guy, you know? And when you, that was the crazy thing about coming up back, you know, during COVID was like, you know, he made these, just like these, like Captain America speeches about, like, you know, about what we were doing and like how people need to laugh. And it was just like, I mean, his heart is always in the right place. And yeah. I was, I'm always impressed and, and, and humbled by him. Have you practiced there's no crying in baseball speech? Yes. So I, that is, that is a, my, probably that, the Burbs and, and um, League of Their Own, I think are, sort of like unsung, like special Tom Hanks thing. Cause we're not used to seeing him fly off the handle in that sort of way. And, um, and I, and that's why that was the reason I, when I was starting to do Hanks on stage, I'm like, I can't drink ever because I, yeah. I won't be able to hit those, those top tier notes. And it's yeah. so iconic that if you don't hit it, people like, I remember um, I auditioned for, uh, or I was on stage one night at the improv. The first time I ever did Tom Hanks, and I go, here's my impression of Tom Hanks. I was doing micro impressions, right? I was like, here's my impression of Tom Hanks during the Civil War. And I swear this guy yells out, no. Like, <laughs> like you're not going to do, like, you can't do him. And I was just like, I was like, all right. I go, Tom Hanks, Civil War. And then I did it. But I remember thinking, like, he's somebody that people love and well oh, yeah. grown up. That he's America's sweetheart, man. Everyone's yeah. very protective of him. Like I when he got, when he got COVID, speech. like people freaked out when he got COVID. They're like, not Hanks. You do not take our Hanks. <laughs> yeah, he's a national treasure. I tried to learn that he speech. I, I wasn't able to do it. I thought, you know, I used to do um, Barney Fife on stage, Don Knotts. And, and, I, I, left it, and I, I couldn't smoke beforehand because I couldn't hit that upper register. And now like a thousand cigarettes later, I don't know if I can still do it. Do you, are you interested in... Just give me, a, give us a line from of Tom Hanks. 
Oh, oh, come on, guys. Oh, 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 COVID. Oh, the fucking bat. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks, man. I, I love, love it. it. I, I, I title. So I remember game. you and I were kind of um, you were going out for SNL a few years ago, I think, and uh, yes. or, and I was uh, I was giving you notes on on, on some of your um, performances when you were doing Laugh Factory and stuff like yeah, that. And, yeah, you were so man. Happy. Yeah, no, you're you're great, and uh, you know it was a pleasure to like just to get to like work with you. You know, not only doing shows, but you know just helping you out, and that's what we do is comics. We help each other out. But I remember you doing. Um, uh, Tom Hanks, uh, like stubbing his toe, and then we we changed it or something to like Tom Hanks being tickled and getting upset that you were yes. tickling him. Like so that, that was, that was that fucking was so great. And that did. You know what's funny is I um the tickling was so much better version. And then one night I did a joke about a, a some guy, or there was something about a a, 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 a like a. I did another joke about getting kicked in the nuts or something. And then out of random, I go, oh, here's Tom Hanks getting kicked in the nuts. And that got like such a funny visual because it's like you never think of Tom. I mean, not that you don't think of Tom Hanks having a toe or getting tickled, but a dick, let alone getting fucking. And then I I made a Woody joke or Tom Hanks getting kicked in the Woody. That's what I said. Ah. And then and then I went like, Oh, 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 and that got like. <laughs> so then I was like, "That was it." Yeah, dude, that's that's completely brilliant. <clears throat> oh, thanks. I feel I feel like do do people always ask you when you do impressions? You're like, dude, Tom Hanks doing this and do like this. That they, like, I I feel like in, in interviews I've I've either heard yeah. or seen you. People just throw that stuff out a lot, which I think it's fun, you know. But it's also sometimes I don't know. Do you ever get like, no, I'm not doing that. Well, <laughs> I love this. Like, I mean, obviously, you know, Chris, you and I have been friends for a long time, but, you know, like, but being able to discuss, like, you know, somebody at the level that you're at, Daryl, and like, uh, you know, not like, like also an icon, but like the depth of your impressions and how they've like, not only been like great over the years, but mattered in sort of shaping the public's brain of that person with all of, you know, it's, it's amazing. So like, this is, I really prefer to do them in this sort of environment because I really have um, a, like, you know, I have such a deep appreciation and, and, and love for the craft. And I think that like this feels so natural. Whereas when you go on those talk shows, they're like, yeah, what does, what, what does Tom Hanks think about the election? And then you're like, Oh, no, bro. <laughs> no, you tweet him. You tweet yeah. Him. I wonder what he'd yeah. be like if he were in the uh, frozen food aisle, huh? <laughs> yeah exactly and so i'm like and he would say what and he would, it might go a little something like this and yeah. um yeah cause i don't I, like when when they like try to force something serious out of it like with the election thing where they're like what tom hanks think about trump and you're like come on man like if it was i'm all for it if it's something silly you know like something like uh, i don't know like what would what would tom hanks sound like if he was selling dildos on qfc qvc you know, yeah. like that, that shit would make me laugh because it's more, it's so opposite of what Tom Hanks would do yeah. or would say. Like, that's why I, I would prefer something like that, you know? Did you, and if you've talked about this before, uh, I apologize, Daryl, but when you auditioned um, for SNL, did you do like full bits like that? Or were they, you know, because I've seen it done 
No, I, I was really hacky about it, and I was really mercenary about it because they were like, he's not looking for a stand-up comic, okay, dude? He's looking for someone to replace Phil Hartman, mm. right? Be hacky. Forget you don't need good transitions. Just announce what it is you're going to do and then do it. And that way you can cram in as many, you know, as you possibly can because that's what you got to do today. Yeah. So um, I was hacky. As I was hacky. I did uh, <laughs> Bill Donahue um, in German. Killer. Uh, I did um, – <clears throat> Then I would, I demonstrated the vocal similarities between Ted Koppel and Phil Donahue, and I did Koppel in German. I mean, real, real hacky shit, you know. Um, but that but, works. I feel but like also, I don't think that's hacky. I don't think you, the word hacky yeah. is, is accurate for that. Well, it's just uh, what I wanted to show is, is here's is. my range. In yes. 10 minutes, I'm going to show you my range. And I think that that, to, when I look at when I'm, the tapes that I've seen, when I see like real success, you look, you think of like Fallon and Hartman and Carvey. And it's like what you're describing. I don't think that's hacky. I think it's showing like, wow, can these guys do a lot? And yeah, hacky isn't the right word. I think it's more direct is what it is. It's more direct. I, and just, I did uh, Dan- Rodney Dangerfield in Spanish. Oh, um, love him. Can you do that for me right now? That would be fantastic. <laughs> I'll tell you, say a simpatico conmigo. Porque mi novia es tan gorda que delante de los simos alemán yo tengo pedia y direcciones. Okay? I love it, man. I love it. I, I never get tired of hearing Daryl do impressions on the podcast. Oh, Always. In my second audition, I had no no material. But I wanted to do Richard Trivers, so I go, I got no material, and I want to do Richard Trivers. So here he is, a scene um, with Mr. Vaughn and Jaws. But whatever. Um, stand-up, I try to be a lot more careful. And I try to space it out, because I don't want it to turn into a magic act where they just want they just want to applaud the accuracy of what you're doing up there. Yes. They want them to laugh. Yeah. So it's a little bit more difficult. Like, my hero was, for as far as doing impressions, was Eddie Murphy because Eddie Murphy didn't do an impression that they didn't laugh. They, the impressions were funny. It's the first guy that was, like, really, really fucking funny to me. Yeah. Um, with these beautiful impressions. I but there's such, a, there's, there's such an art, though, for that. Like, I mean, not to interrupt you, I'm sorry, but, like, uh, is that... You guys specifically, I, I, you know, coming to mind like Godfrey, um, Melissa Villasenor, like learning to do a stand-up act and weaving those impressions in between stand-up jokes and bits and stories is an art, and it's 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 you know it's it's something that I'm jealous of because I wish I could do impressions, I don't, but like it's just so cool to see that you guys, you know, some people just rely on being like a one-trick pony, but you're not. You've learned the arts in the different types of impressions. And it's, it's really cool to watch. It really is. Like it, I loved watching, you know, both of your acts, like, and seeing you just be good at all of it and not just be, you know, like with Melissa specifically, like I watched her in the beginning when she first started at the comedy store in like 2010, maybe 2009. And, uh, she had the impressions, but she didn't have the act. And I watched her build and build and build. 
And then it just became like, she was just weaving those jokes in between. And then now she like only does impressions like here and there in her stand-up act. It's more of like, you know, she just throws one or two in kind of thing. Like if it's relevant to the joke, if it's relevant to the story. And I don't know, I'm just in awe of like how, how like seamless you guys make it look. It's really impressive to me. Well, my hero was um, Richard Pryor as well. Cause I liked how Pryor would tell, and Eddie Murphy did this too. They would do the setup in their own voice and perform the punchline in character. Yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, that's that's a that's definite a thing that that's yeah, a that's dog. Yeah, I mean he. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and that's the, you know I think that there's a difference I think between impressionists and um, and in, in comedians that do impressions because like I really you know I think about like Frank Gorshin or like some of the old. Uh, impressionists you know who were really really good like frank gorshin's kirk douglas is so i mean it's so good or you know rich little obviously these you know but and but and it and it's nothing against rich little i mean rich little is one of the greatest mimics of all time but he's not a comedian right the way i think of someone like you and so i think that there's a difference of uh, is the impression enhancing the joke or is the impression, like you were saying, where they go, that is, that does sound like Jimmy Stewart. He's really nailing that. And I think that that's sort of a, a different thing. And I always wanted to do the, like the Eddie Murphy thing. Yeah. Chris and I did a show out in a field. The, we've done it twice. <laughs> out in a field in the cold with people wrapped in blankets, bringing their own bottle and bringing their sweetie and a bottle of wine. And uh, I have to say they were both really fun shows to do to anything. Where, where was this? Well, the first one was in Connecticut, and then this, the one recently we did last week on Friday uh, at uh, in, in Pennsylvania, right outside Philly, at a mm-hmm. place called Soul Joel's. And uh, shout out to them, man. They, they, they put on great shows. I mean, those crowds were great. Um, we did two shows on Friday, and uh, the first show had like 150 people. It was, And they all came out to be outside under heat lamps and you know, the only, in, thing, in the the only thing about it that was in, interesting, you know, so, uh, there's a time in my life where I would have complained and belly and bitched about it. <laughs> but a train comes by sometimes. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I got heckled by a train. Just come like, by. Yeah. I mean, I've had my shows interrupted before by hecklers. But... <laughs> yeah, the one in Connecticut, I got heckled by geese. <laughs> you know, like squawking as yeah, they were like flying geese, by. And you're geese like, was like, geese going, I don't like that. Christ. <laughs> at least they get on you yeah that's true I'll leave that for yes. the audience silver lining <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know like it's it, you know this the stand-up world now is so different i mean now we're doing shit outside and have you been doing any shows outside have you done any of that uh like the magic no. castle shit or whatever else is going on out there we there's a lot happening which is cool we have the weather obviously so it's yeah that's like- it i don't know why there's not more shows out there I think well, right now we're in a uh, a lockdown. I think yeah. until the end of the month, but but people were doing a ton of shows, and I was keeping so safe during the filming that I just was like, you know, because um, we were getting tested three times a week, and I didn't want the production. You know, there, obviously there were so many variables that were going on, and I just wanted. Yeah. To be, you don't right. want to be that guy who shuts down the fucking production. Right. You, you're, you're responsible for other people's oh, lives at that shit. point, you know? Oh, you man, know? that would suck. Did yeah, you, you imagine that, that happened on Mission Impossible 7 today? Where yeah. Audio yeah, we're, 
we talked about that before we brought you on. And uh, I don't know. Do you have a Tom Cruise impression? I'm, I'm curious. Uh, I don't. The problem with my, I mean, I can, I sort of do, the, I can do the laugh, but um, I mean, my, uh, my voice just doesn't really, you know, I don't sit where his voice sits. It's very, you know, I can sort of get the tone. Have I ever seen the, anyone do Tom Cruise? Not like, I haven't seen anybody who, like, I've seen impersonators do him, who, like, put the glasses on and are kind of like, <laughs> you know, and that's what Ben Stiller famously did for a long time. But, I think uh, I saw Ben Stiller do Tom, Tom Cruise. Yeah, he did him. He does the kind of like that, okay, <laughs> you know. I, I, I remember really enjoying it, too. Yeah, it's funny as hell. When they would do the two of them together, I think it was on the MTV Awards or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, right, yeah. right, right, right. It was hysterical. Really um, good. yeah. But I don't do, do you, have you tried to do Tom Cruise? I can't do him. I just can't find the voice. Yeah, it's weird. He talks through his nose, like the whole time, you know. I may, uh, you know, I'm here. He always yeah. Listening to him, like, though, like, like freak out on his uh, on his crew was was quite something. We were talking about how, like, you know, everybody on Twitter is going bananas over it because they want Tom Cruise to be our governor or state, or, you know, mayor, you know, president, whatever, because he's, you know, he's just – he was going off on people. Do, like, I guess somebody wasn't wearing a mask. Did or... you watch it, um, Jonathan? How do you characterize it? I mean, here's what I would say. I did. And um, I think that I can't disagree with anything that he said. I know that people have, and maybe I only heard an isolated audio that a buddy of mine posted, so maybe there was more. I don't know. But there's so many people like they're there that don't have, like he said, take away their homes. Their, their homes are getting taken away that these people are privileged. And again, I don't even know what they were doing. Um, and I don't know. I've never met Tom Cruise. I, I admire him as an artist and, uh, and what he does. Um, I think that he, I, I got to imagine that he spoke up with, with good reason that there was something, but again, I didn't see it. So I can't speak for him. But I think that when that much money is on the line, if something gets shut down, it's so much money. And these people are in such a privileged position right now, a place to have jobs when so many people are losing everything during this. It's true. Yeah. You want to, you know, and and a guy like Tom Cruise, whose name being put on there is getting the money from the banks or from the production company or whatever and allowing – they're putting so many people to work that wouldn't have jobs and your actions are affecting the, not, not indirectly where they think like wear a mask or whatever. Like these are affecting these people and how many people are listed there. And I got to think like at some point, like you got to respect what, you know, what he's talking about. Cause he's not, I don't think he's pointing people out and going, well, I hope this goes viral and you know, F you to these like faceless strangers that I'm, I don't, I don't think it's coming from a place of being holier than thou. I think it's coming from a place of respect this opportunity that you have been given. Yeah. He's supposedly like the ultimate professional, that guy. Did you, you ever meet him? Huh? Did you ever meet him? No. I, never I saw him, him at SNL one time, I believe with Nicole Kidman. I can't quite remember but no, I haven't met him. Um, oh man, I, think, I figured you met everybody over there. <laughs> I don't know if I've met everybody, but I've seen I've seen everyone hmm. one time or another. I can't think of. I mean, that that's a, that's an overstatement, you know. Just because I saw Cam Newton doesn't mean I saw the whole Carolina Panthers team. 
right. or the rest of the right. players in the NFL. So I haven't seen everyone, but I've seen <laughs> a, a couple of people. Yeah. Well, what did you guys say? Did you did you guys uh, was I missing something in the thing? Was it did it? No, we were just talking about like just in general how we I was talking about like kind of current events and stuff and about how he flipped out and you know and it's understandable like you should flip out because you know like who knows how you know how much money is on the line just in production costs but you know people are fucking they, they you know they're working and like to lose people's jobs over all this shit by one person you know and not also, wearing a mask yeah, or whatever also you know from the point of view of hey um not to be crass but this ain't the fucking march of dimes over here yo all right a lot is expected of me you are here because of me you mm-hmm. are affecting my ability to make a living and I'm the reason that all of you are getting a paycheck. I couldn't agree more. It yeah. It's like this guy is putting a lot on the line and he's, yeah. you know, yeah. Like, yeah, he's like, you know, investors don't let me make shitty movies. <laughs> I, don't, oh, I, don't, I don't get to make bad movies. I have to make great movies. And right? think of the price point, right? Because it's not like this is like a – like, and even like, you know, like the, the amount of money – that people are aware that even if you're not looking at the at the sheets every day, it's Mission Impossible Seven. Yeah. I mean, these movies cost more than anyone will see in their lifetime, besides Jeff Bezos. And it's like, I mean, yeah, he's paid a lot of mortgages off. He's put yeah. a lot of kid in college. That guy, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's cool. I think that he is is sort of taking it upon himself to be like, we're going to do this because he knows that he's putting people back to work. He knows how important this is, paycheck for these people and the food in their families' mouths. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I think of him as, and you know, I think of Tom Cruise, and maybe this, you know, this is my personal opinion. I think of him as a responsible person. I mean, I think yeah. like I don't know his personal life, but I mean professionally, from what I've seen in interviews and how he conducts himself. Again, I've never been married to him. I don't, I'm not <laughs> saying about the, you know, anything else. But I do, I, I, you know, I, um, and the stories that I've heard, like what you were saying about Clinton earlier, Daryl, that's what people say differently, but similarly about Tom Cruise, that when he right. talks to you, it's just you and him in the world. And it's like, you know, that attention professionally, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'm thankful for a guy like that. If I was on that set, man, I'd be, you know, thank my lucky stars that I got back to oh, work yeah. in a time when so many aren't, you know. Yeah, when they said to me and Chris, like, hey, want to go work in a field and be really cold and not get paid that much money, but get paid? And I was like, Jesus, a job? Yeah, no shit, right? Or just like- five, you don't have to pay. I mean, pay me a hundred. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just happy to work, man. I mean, I, 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 you know, going back to talk about like, you know, stand-up shows outside. I mean, you know, the most I've really done here is like, you know, I was in, I was quarantining out in California, and then I came back to New York finally in July, mm-hmm. and I was just doing like rooftop shows. Like, there's a lot of rooftop stuff here, and I've seen it, yeah. You know, they're doing stuff in, in like parks here, but I didn't want to do the stuff in the parks because it wasn't really. It's kind of awful to be honest with you. You know, people walking by, and like, you know, it was just kind of un- unorganized from what I saw. So, just doing like, you know, I did a couple of sidewalk shows. You know, it was weird and. Um, you know, but some of these rooftop shows were, were lovely and they were like actually really fun and it's, it's a different experience and you're like, wow, like, but at least I'm able to do that. At least I am like able to do some stand up, And that's why when we went out and 
you know, I don't think Daryl and I expected very much when we went to the one did ones last Friday. Um, and then we were both kind of really surprised at how great they were, you know, um, and how, how incredibly well run it was. I mean, these guys yeah. put on a stand up comedy show in the middle of a dark night in Pennsylvania. Yeah, out in the, fuck, we're in the woods. <laughs> they were good, and that was really a clever, clever stuff they did. Yeah, they were they were really great. I mean, uh, I can't recommend it enough. So if anybody's listening, lives out in the Philly area, go check out Soul Joel's. They're really great, and uh, hopefully we'll be back there. Company, yeah, yeah. So you've, you haven't done any stand up like throughout this real pandemic, have you? No, I was. You know, I got asked to do a bunch of really. I was very um, honored to be asked to do some really cool shows that I'd seen on Friends Social, and then when I was on the Netflix, I kind of tried to call the bookers and say, you know, we went back into production. I'm super thankful for the opportunity, but I want to respect this contract and these people and sort of what we're doing here. And oh, yeah. then once we finished, yeah, and they were amazing. Like they were like, of course, like let us know when you guys wrap. And then in the moment we wrapped, um, it was like Thanksgiving and then uh, the lockdown happened like right away. So I haven't really had a chance to, and for me, like Zoom shows, I love this. I'm having a wonderful time. I like this sort of back and forth. The Zoom stand-up, I did one at the beginning, and I just didn't, like, it just wasn't for me. And, like, I, by the way, God bless anybody that does them. I, I just, they weren't, it wasn't for me. And so what I did was um, I just started practicing and writing my stuff because I think, you know, hopefully um, things will start to open up. And, again, I want to be ready with that hour. So I'm going to sort of focus my 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 stuff over here. Yeah, no, that's that's great, man. I mean, um, you know, the, the Zoom stuff has been weird for me too. I don't, I don't, really, I didn't want to do it. I didn't. It was one something I just wasn't interested in. I'd rather be in person, you know. And doing this podcast has been great. It's been a great outlet for Daryl and myself, uh, you know, just to, you know, kind of reconnect with the comedians that you know you miss hanging out with. You miss hanging like you know I haven't seen you in, in, in a while, man. And so like getting you to come on and, and just the bullshit and, you know, hear for impressions and things like that. It's been great. You know, it's, this is the camaraderie that I've missed, you know, with comedians. <laughs> I, envy your, I envy your career, Jonathan. You really have done well for yourself. Oh my goodness. Coming from you. I, I really take the compliment. Thank you so much. Yeah. Do you get, uh, do you get a lot of like, uh, I mean, not to switch too much, but like, do you get a lot of um, people that like bring up two broke girls a lot? I mean, that was such a great show, man. Yeah, I mean, they do, but it's one of these things where, um, yeah, they definitely do. I was like, I think it's one of these things where um, because it was on in and it did, um, it, it talked about a lot of stuff and it was really raunchy and like there was a lot to it. Like people sort of want to know, I always get asked like, what was it like behind the scenes? And I think that that's really... That's very, I always take, like, I, I think that's very sweet that people are interested in the friendship that we had behind uh, the, when the cameras weren't rolling. And um, and they don't really, I think sometimes they ask about the jokes and stuff, but they could tell that we really love each other and that it was a family there. And um, that was really special because as we all know, like, that's not always the case. And um, it's it's cool that, that you know, uh, that we sort of had that for, and that, that, that those friendships were built out of that. And I think that that's a nice thing that I always love talking about with people. I love, you know, sort of exploring that and sort of letting people in because they didn't really, you know, I, I had to write a, a joke actually because I would do stand up 
And um, I, I would, you know, I would come back and take photos and everything after. And I didn't talk about two broke girls ever on stage. And I realized that if I didn't, like in some capacity, I would have to, not have to, but like I would feel, because I really wanted people to feel like, you know, that it was a worthwhile show and I wanted to give people a great show. And I would stand in line and take photos and sign stuff at the end. And then they would just sort of answer, uh, like ask me two broke girls questions. Like every, you know, which was, I, I felt truly honored that they loved and cared about the show. Like it was, we were nothing without the audience. I mean, without yeah. fans were so loyal, so incredible. Like I loved them. Yeah. You guys had a big audience, man. I mean, six so seasons. It was great. And, yeah. yeah. So I, and, so I was like, I should do a joke. So I wrote a joke about a real thing that happened. Cause I'm like, I don't think that there's too many behind the scenes stories that are available online. Cause we used to have like a lot of really weird things that would happen because we, we were lucky enough to have people on the show, like, um, you know, uh, not to the capacity of a weekly, like superstar, like SNL, but we would have like Kim Kardashian or, you know, Martha Stewart or Pierce Morgan. And it was like stories just like came out of that stuff. And so we, I would try to tell like some of those jokes on stage about that and sort of fulfill. And then I thought like, I sort of like, you know, check that box for people that had come to yeah, see. Yeah. I, I always feel that, that people would be really disappointed if I didn't visit the subject of SNL while I was sure. on stage. Yeah. So I do. Yeah. yeah. Why not? That's how I got there. Absolutely. Yeah. That's why the fuck they're here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, two broke girls, you were fortunate. What a killer cast, man. So a great cast. Could you do me a favor? Could you kel- tell Kat Dennings that I love her? <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. Please text her. Tell her I'm in love with her. Uh, no, she's uh I don't, I don't, I've never met her, but I've met Beth before. Um, her, her now husband uh, was friends with, uh, I used to live in, do you know uh, who the actor Michael Kelly is? He yeah. was on um, House of Cards. He played uh, yes. like Doug Stamper on House yes, of Cards. Yes, 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 yes. Very good, very good. So like I, he had an apartment here that he would just rent out to like friends and stuff. And I actually ended up like living in his apartment. Um, and uh, we'd have like different actors all the time over the apartment he was never there because he's like a wife and kids and he like you know live in a house somewhere else but um anyway like beth came over one time and she was lovely man she was just so much fun to hang out with it she well, flipped me some shit like and i was like this is great like just a really nice person i was like i can only imagine how much fun it would be to work with her on that uh that show man i mean between you know that and uh, garrett man i mean come on yeah it was great garrett used to tell old snl stories i mean god we'd sit around him like he was a campfire and like, just listen to that guy talk. <laughs> Daryl, did you ever meet Garrett? Uh, briefly, <clears throat> yeah. But I don't, I don't know him. Yeah, yeah he's it, a good dude. He's, he was a uh, was he original cast? Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Like he was original cast member. So seventy five to eighty. Yeah, yeah. I was imagine he has some stories, man. I mean, yeah, they're great. But it's <laughs> cool. Everybody came from a different world. That was what was so great about that. Is that you know. Um, we were so different, but it just worked like for that thing. Cause like Jennifer Coolidge who played my wife. Oh, yeah. She's so funny, man. I mean, yeah. So everybody, but, but it was amazing. Cause like she was from, obviously she's had a, a long story and career and some of the most memorable, iconic film roles, you know, but she was started as a, as doing sketch and obviously was like a, a, a major groundling and, you know, really um, was so iconic there. And then to see, you know, Kat Dennings who, had come from like the world of independent film acting and was a movie star. I mean, it was really like everybody and then Garrett and 
and sort of uh, Beth, who was like this fresh face that nobody, I mean, she had done a few things, but like this really was her coming out like an announcement. And she was a stage actress that she had done a lot of that. And she has a gorgeous singing voice. And so it was so cool to sort of all converge in this one place. Yeah. These really weird, different backgrounds. Now, this is a question I'm sure you get all the fucking time, especially from some press that, you know, they'd be like, did you ever work at a restaurant? Like, did you ever, like, do a restaurant? I had a job that Oleg had. I was a short order cook at a restaurant. It no longer exists. I went to the University of Illinois in Champaign. Okay. It's called, it was called Dewey's Other Place. This guy had, uh, had a, a second restaurant. And the first one was called Dewey's. This one was called Dewey's Other Place. And I played the chef. I mean, I was like, I, that was my thing. <laughs> cooker there at that, that like thing and it was crazy so when i got in the kitchen they asked me like michael patrick king would be like is this how it would work and i'm like yeah sort of but like these would be probably closer together because you're from you know doing it in there so it was like you know it was cool like it was they did a pretty damn good job of, of doing a pretty uh, a working kitchen because of all the stunts and stuff that we had to do and all the yeah daryl and i've talked about work we both worked in restaurants for years you know, and uh, it's, it's, you know, I'd say I give a lot of, you know, a lot of appreciation for people who've worked in the industry before, because, you know, you learn a lot about people and, oh, you know, yeah. I, I used to try, I used to try jokes doing when I was waiting tables all the time, <laughs> like all the time, man. Did you wait I, in New York or in LA? I did both. I did, uh, I waited tables here in New York. I would, I would, uh, I'd be afraid to tell bookers when I got here that I was not on the professional level. Mm-hmm. And so I would, what I would do is I'd be like, well, I'm only available for your midnight shows. And so, because I, I'd be like, I'm, I'm booked up, you know, like, and so what I would do is I'd work at the restaurant until like, you know, however late. And I'd say, well, here's what I want to do. I want to close all of your midnight shows on a Saturday. And nobody wanted that fucking, sh- nobody wanted that slot because yeah. midnight shows here in New York are a train wreck. People show up hammered and then they oh, get yeah. even more hammered. And it's like, you know, by the time the last person comes up on, on stage, it it's a shit show. People are like heckling and they're like falling down, they're throwing up, whatever the fuck. It's like it's just they're trash city, man. Like it's yeah. so I always me always offering to close. They were always like, oh yeah, you really want to close at midnight? And in my head, I was like, well yeah, it's the only fucking time I can do because I didn't know how late I was going to be at the restaurant. But you know, I'd work double shifts and then run all the way down to you know the stand or you know you know, Broadway or something like that. And just go to my late, my late set. And, you know, the best, the best part about doing those sets is that like, you learn how to be a better comic dealing with those type of crowds. You know, I learned a lot from doing those late night sets because I had to work in the restaurant industry, you know, like you, you learn how to deal with those types of crowds. I used to have like a barrier, like a little like, bar that I would set where I'd say, if I can get three solid laughs on a midnight show on a Saturday going up last three, then I'm doing something right. Like, you know, then that set is, is going to kill when I get it to a nine o'clock on a Saturday, you know, like, so that was always that balance running around from fucking, you know, (laughs) bars and restaurants to doing these sets. When you talk about running around, Daryl, when you had to learn a new impression, if they're like, do you do Al Gore? Did you try to go up during the week and like the seller or something to work it out in front of a crowd? Yeah, um, the first time I did Al Gore and Weekend Update, I don't think anyone really knew who he was. They certainly didn't know what he sounded like. Yeah. So I had to find a way to do him in front of a crowd that people responded to, and I would go to the fucking, what else? Go to the cellar. 300 fucking times. Yeah, 300. 
times. Yeah, because I wondered, I always, I did a sketch show. I met Jamie Fox on a, uh, a sketch show that we did that was sort of being touted as like the new and living color. And um, I remember when I auditioned, I was very, um, I came in with like a bunch of impressions. And by the way, I did exactly what you did for your SNL. Like in terms of, I'd be like, here's Vince Vaughn running a sweatshop, I think was my bit. Or like, here's, um, uh, I don't even remember what I, like some of those were. James Gandolfini is like customer service for AT&T. I mean, I literally said, cause I was like, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do and I'm going to do it so that you don't, so you can know that I can do it. And then, but, but I was the only white guy on the show. And so they would, we, when we, they would write something and they'd be like, well, do you do this guy? And it wasn't like, like I just had to do it. And at the time I wasn't doing stand up and looking back on it, I was like, oh, damn, I wish I was doing stand up because I could have tried it out in front of a crowd. Because I, I mean, the, the crew was so sweet because I remember just sitting there going, like, does this sound like this guy? Like, as I'm getting the damn fucking wig on my head. And I'm like, and I'm like I got to do it. And I, and I thought, what a gift, you know, that you being able, as a stand up, being able to be like, well, listen, man. I got to do this guy. So I might as well go out and try and do him before the world sees him on Saturday. Yep. That's what I did. Yeah. That's cool. That's Plain very simple. Do you guys ever get like asked to do impressions like professionally, not just maybe like on stage or on an interview. Do you ever get asked to do impressions that you just can't do where you're like, I just, fuck, I can't man. Like, and like, cause you know, sometimes somebody's asking you to do that for a TV show. Like SNL, you don't want to say no. You know, but like sometimes you just can't do an impression of somebody. It's not, you know, not, not say that you're not talented. No, that happens all the time. I, I mean, I'm sure Daryl, that, I mean, you said like you get asked, you can't do him. Yeah. Oh, sure. I can't do Tom Cruise. <clears throat> Couldn't do <laughs> Newt Gingrich. Couldn't do uh, Nick Nolte. There's a few of them. I get asked to do, you know, it's funny is because I think there are some that are like really iconic, right? Like Gilbert, right? And so when, when Gilbert Gottfried, like you don't, there are so many people that like do him, but they don't like his voice is so high. And I actually got asked to do him yesterday. And I said, I was like, yeah, like I could, when I was like 23 or 24, but I was like, now with my voice being the way that it is, and um, I can't. Like, I, like I can make an attempt at it, but to really nail him, you know, there's just there's a lot of those impressions that are just they're too high for me. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I mean, I just I'm just in awe that you guys can do such great impressions. I can't do shit. <laughs> I can do one Bill Burr impression, and that is the end of my impressions. And that's probably pretty useful. Bill Burr's probably a pretty good one to do right now. Yeah, well, well, it, it was it was fun to do in the beginning, and then somebody told him at the improv one time that I do an impression of him, and he was, and he just looked at me, and I was like, oh fuck, like you know, you like you ever see somebody you're so, I mean, I don't know if you've had this this with anybody you've doing, done impressions for, but when you have to do it for them, like it, to their face, like it, there's nothing more intimidating because if you fuck that up, they're go, they're never gonna let you know, they're gonna be like, I can't believe somebody thought that was good. You know, I can't believe you're trying to do me, right? You know, like. Well, I did um, a table read with Vince Vaughn, and um, but and when when I came in the room, and he, somebody had told him that I could that someone there had done an impression of him that was like, 
you know, because I, I had his old agent um, over at when I was with CAA, I had Jason Heyman and I did for the, you know, the, the ballroom when they like sort of bring you in to like sign you, they bring everybody in. And um, Jason said, he goes, I think that's the best I've ever heard of Vince Vaughn because he goes, you can talk as fast as he can talk. He goes, a lot of guys, they can get the pitch, but Vince has such a specific rhythm that we're all used to hearing. And then when you know a guy who knows him so well, tell you that it's like that good, you kind of go, yeah, maybe it is good, you know, because, you know, like I know other people who like, I'll do an impression and they're like, I know that guy and you don't sound like him. And you're like, yeah, fair enough. Like I'm not, I'm not, I don't claim to be like the end all be all. But I went to this table read and Vince had heard that somebody there like could do an, like what he had been told was amazing impression. But I didn't want to do it for him because there was no way to bring it up. So he goes to the bathroom and Peter Billingsley, you know, from uh, Christmas Story, from you know, his producing partner, one of his best friends, he goes, hey, man, do, do Vaughn, do Vaughn, like kind of in a hushed tone. And everyone in the room kind of went to me and I was like sitting there. And like I had said Beetlejuice three times, Vince like was appeared. Like he came back and he was like, yeah, yeah, do me, like do me. How do I sound? Like what do I sound like? Do me. And everyone, and I looked and I was kind of like, uh, and then I started doing him and his face went as white as a ghost. And wow. I remember, and I remember going like, hey man, like I do other people. Like I don't want him to think I was like vocally stalking him. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was like, yo, like I, I, you know, I really like, and I was telling him that I'm, I'm a fan and I think, but I think it was really weird for him to hear that. And he was so nice, very kind about the whole thing. But I think that that was just like a very, I think it went as well as it could have gone. But I think it's like, you know, something in him was kind of like, whoa. Yeah, no, that's that, really cool. It's impressive. And that's when I was like, okay, I think I sound like him. I think that that reaction is like enough. Yeah. And, and then Daryl, like, thanks. oh, sorry, say again? No, and then I did Tom Hanks, and I think he was like, oh, okay, this guy can do other people. That's, like, oh. literally what it was. It wasn't like, he just does me. Have you ever done Tom Hanks to Tom Hanks? No, but people who know him always call me, and they're like, why don't – I swear to you, they go, I have Rita Wilson's number. And I'm like, okay, great. And they go, why don't you call her as Tom Hanks, and we'll leave her a voicemail? I'm like, I don't want to be introduced to the Hanks-Wilson family that way. So yeah, that, that's a little weird. I get asked to do weird, yeah, but that's weird. yeah. What about you, Daryl? Have you ever had to do it? I saw there was one sketch I did see of you with Trump when he hosted SNL. Um, is years ago when he was, I think he was doing The Apprentice, and you, Trump played the janitor, and then you were basically doing your impression to him in the same scene. Was that intimidating to you? Like, was that weird? I mean, it's before he was president, obviously, so it was probably not as intimidating. No, as it would be uh, now. he was very welcoming and friendly, and it was really easy to do. <clears throat> yeah have you ever been intimidated doing an impression to somebody in front of them like of them mm, i don't think so he's a pro he's a that, pro daryl no, hannah's I mean, the pro no, man that's the fuck out of these fucking things and <laughs> yeah hundreds and hundreds of times in front of it i figure i'm doing a halfway decent job yeah meanwhile i'm shitting my pants in front of bill burr <laughs> I don't know. I have another podcast I have to do. Oh, you got to go, huh? Daryl and I have a podcast. He and I have a you, We should have you on sometime. You, you'll love it. Well, <laughs> I would be thrilled to be on a show with you. What's the name of your podcast? Let's plug it before. No, I was just kidding. Well, I do have a podcast. We took a break. It's called Kites of the Round Table. It's my cousin and I who's a musician. 
and we're going to get we're going to get back up to it in the beginning of the year um just because it's it's just felt like disconnected and you know but yeah can i don't know how to get my my information to you but i'd be thrilled to do a show with right, you. yeah i'll pass yeah. it along no problem i'll make, i'll connect you guys Let's yeah, you guys it. on the podcast. Yeah. Um, before we go, we usually the way we wrap it up, I think I mentioned this, but uh, yeah. do you have any like crazy wild stories to like close out with it? Uh, something cool that maybe either you've told before or maybe, you know, our listeners wouldn't know. Uh, just something fun. Um, you know, you already, you already told us a shit ton. Oh, uh, yeah. You did tell us some cool stuff, man, already. But oh, thanks. The um, the you know, it's I always say um, like say what you can do or like, you know, I think like people and maybe in our industry and maybe I'm wrong, get sort of accused of being a bullshitter. Like I remember when I first moved to LA, everybody was a producer, you know, to pick up chicks or whatever. Right. Yeah. And I remember I was like, I never, when I first moved out to LA, I was like, don't be that guy. Like if you're not on TV, like don't say that you're on TV because then it's like you like if, if things go well with that girl, I, I never wanted to be like, by the way, remember that time when I was like trying to get in your pants and now we're married? I'm like, I totally lied. I work at PetSmart, which is still cool, but I'm not a producer. So <laughs> when I was um, my best friend who opens for me on the road, Chris, you might have met him, but um, he uh, what's his name? A, his name is Seth Shapiro. He's an incredible stand up. He's my, been my best friend for forever and forever. So he and I, his mother got ordained as a rabbi at the, uh, in Cincinnati at a college there. And she's like, do you want to come out, uh, to, um, you know, like to the ceremony? We're like, we'd love to, this is when I first moved to LA and I was feeling kind of good. Cause I had just booked a couple things and we go to a bar to like pick up chicks in Cincinnati, but we are sort of dressed the way that like, you know, like Jeff Goldblum and all that and like earth girls are easy like there's clearly something like different about these guys in the bar than there are like everybody else or and we're sort of like there we're trying to pick up these girls and they're like you know i'm like well what they're like well what do you do for a living and i was like well you know it's going really well i don't want to tell her that i'm like an actor or a producer or anything like that 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 is going to like be alarming or weird because then i feel like i'm going to have to go into like a backstory and it's going to become like this wikipedia entry and um, so she goes, what do you do for a living? And I go, you know, it'd be going really well enough. And I go, oh, you know, I'm an actor. And as if I had said like a trigger word for everybody, all of her friends like came in like piranhas and they were like, oh, you're an actor. Like you're in, you're, you're an LA person. And, and my buddy and I were like, we have got to get out of here. And we're like trying to leave. And then they're like, no, 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 you're an actor. Like what, what have you done that you're like an actor? And we suddenly were like, spotlight like sitting down and it was it was it was bad cop bad cop bad cop bad cop and i'm looking at my buddy and i was like well i was just in um pirates of the caribbean part two which i had just filmed and then her friend goes no 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 no. that doesn't count uh that's a movie that's not and i'm just like whoa does that not count hold on she goes we can't see that movie it's not out yet and i'm like oh and they're like what is on tv that you know is going to be coming out. And I was like, and my buddy and I are looking, and later we talked about this. I'm like, what an unusual line of questioning. Like, how many times has somebody come into town and been like, I'm on, I'm in Pirates of the Caribbean Part 2. They're like, uh-uh, we've heard this story before, buddy. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I was like, well, I just did a Super Bowl commercial um, for Bud Light, which was, it, it was a great, it, it had just passed, though, 
And so they're like, oh, so is it still on? I go, I don't, I don't know. I'm like, it's not the Super Bowl anymore. And then they're sort of like coming in and they go, what are you on on TV right now that we can see? And I think that they were just trying to be like, I lied. I'm not an actor. I was just trying to sleep with your friend. And I was like, I don't know. I'm in this direct TV commercial with Peyton Manning and Barry Sanders. And we were in a sports bar. And my best friend, who I re- like, who always be my wingman, he goes, you mean that one? And they ah. all turn around, and it was on the Jumbotron at that moment. And, I, and it was me standing next to Peyton Manning and Barry Sanders. How'd the rest nice. of the night go? Yeah, did you get uh, laid right away? Did they all suck your dick at once? I, uh, I couldn't tell. I, they were just, they were just, they were looking like puppies. No, no, no. I, um, I like, I like Daryl's face on that one. <laughs> Chris he was like, the most fucking Chris does shit the co-ed killer would say. You know, I'm like, I love that I creep Daryl out. Amazing. I creep Daryl Hammond out on this so often to the Darryl point where he's that that, that. <laughs> His face was that had to come from the desk of Edward Kemper Jr. (laughs) After he killed his third, wow! The night was was very fun. It was a great time, and it was just like never. I would say that kept me honest, you know. And I was like, and I always tell him like I was so appreciative of that of him because I I didn't see it. My back was to it, and so it was just like I never lied. I was in those things, and it was just cool. And I didn't have to lie even to like people that would never know if I was lying or not. <laughs> well, that's great, man. Uh, well, thank you so much for, you know, being a guest on our podcast. John. You, this guys. is great. Yeah. So and uh, we all, we got the new show coming out on Netflix with uh, Jamie Foxx and David Allen Greer. It's uh, what's it called again? Dad, stop embarrassing me. And it's based off of Jamie Foxx's real life relationship with his daughter, who's a producer on the show, Corinne, who's amazing who co-hosts Beach Shazam with him. She's a oh, nice. very, very successful woman. She has an Emmy. She's a boss. That woman, she's our boss, but she is a boss. She's so, so amazing. And um, it's about their life growing up. So like, this 14-year-old girl played by this woman, Kyla Drew, who is a star. Like, people are just going to know that woman's name. This woman is a movie star. And she plays the daughter, and Jamie plays a character based on himself. It's, um, it's <laughs> I play his best friend. Do you know uh, when that's going to drop on Netflix yet or no? I think it's going to be the spring of 2021. We think so. We haven't got an official, um, but, but uh, you know, uh, I'll, on social media, I'm at Jonathan Kite, and then I always Perfect. announce things there. Sweet. Well, yeah, make sure you guys follow him. Uh, thank you so much for being on, man. It was a pleasure to ca- connect with you again, dude. Such a pleasure to see both of you. You're a cool cat and a great talent, bro. Hey, you promise too. me you'll call on me if you, need, if you really want to I'm going to call you 100%. Good. 100%. Good. I'll connect you guys. No problem. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much. Okay. Uh, make sure everybody keeps an eye out for uh, that uh, new Netflix show. And then you can probably find old reruns of two broke girls uh, somewhere, probably HBO max and you know, wherever else they, uh, they air those still, What a great show that was uh, Jonathan. Thank you again. Appreciate it. Thank you so much guys. Take care. See you again, Jonathan. Yeah. I hope. Yeah, <laughs> See care. you buddy. Bye guys. And that was our uh, podcast with Jonathan Kite, guys. You know, I know he's not the most uh, famous guy and that maybe not our listeners have, uh, know him uh, per se by name. But, man, like, he is going to be somebody that you definitely will know if you don't already. He's so great. Uh, go catch him live whenever he starts touring again when COVID allows it. Like, what a you know great impressionist. I wanted to ask him to do more impressions, but I didn't want to also, you know, 
do something that you know he's probably done a million times on other podcasts and other interviews. But uh, what do you think, Daryl? Great interview, right? I thought so. I think he's a really deep guy and a wonderful talent. And yeah, he's a great dude. I'm fortunate enough to have been friends with him for a long time, and I used to like right. you know every once in a while work on the Warner mm-hmm. Brothers a lot when I lived in L.A. and get to hang out with him and have lunch and stuff. So yeah, he's, he's a good guy. He's a great dude. So make sure you guys, uh, you make sure you follow him uh, on social media and keep an eye out for all his stuff. Uh, and like I said, I usually mention this at the beginning of the podcast. If you guys didn't, haven't already, please follow us on social media. I am at Chris Millhouse with two L's, and that is at as Daryl Hammond at Daryl Hammond, Daryl C Hammond. Sorry, and uh, our producer is at Jim Search. Um, you know, thank you guys for listening. Make sure you give us five stars. We're going to be back with another uh, great podcast episode next week, guys. Thank you so much. Stay safe. Stay indoors if, uh, if it's cold where you are, just like we are, and uh, we'll see you next time. See you next time. <clears throat>